Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hello, everybody. This is Kathy Grace and Kenya Wolf. We are glad to be with you on Ed's Up, and we have a very interesting program. We have Jake Rudisel with us today. He is the Early Learning Channel Manager at Pitsco, and just his title is inviting to me to see if he can talk to us a little bit about what he does there. So, Jake, we're happy to have you, and please tell us a little bit more about your jobs. Yeah, so thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with y'all and, and, and take part in kind of this interesting conversation that um, hopefully a lot of, of listeners will find interesting as well. So you mentioned I'm the early learning channel manager at Pitsco Education and just kind of a little snapshot of that. Pitsco Education is a hands-on STEM education organization and we've been in uh, the education industry for over 50 years and, and ultimately our, our main goal is to make an impact with, with students and empower teachers through hands-on STEM STEAM stream opportunities. And so from an early learning standpoint, my, my role at Pitsco Education is what it sounds. It's anything early learning. We have over 4,000 different solutions that, that we provide to classrooms and teachers around the globe. And through that, we have a lot of different age levels and subject matter that we can help from preschool all the way up through 12th grade and some post-secondary. So when I kind of paint that broad picture of everything that Pitsco does, um, we have specific focuses and, and mine just so happens to be everything early learning. So um, what that means to Pitsco education is anything from about three to four years old up to about eight years old um, when it comes to, to STEM education. Well, one thing, if you would clarify for us very quickly, is STEM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So STEM is an acronym. It's, it's a, it's a cross-curricular approach to engaging in the subjects of science, technology, engineering, and math. And so there's a lot of variations out there. Um, you can insert a, and that's very, uh, very common in, in early childhood and early grade level settings where you introduce art. Um, and then there's stream that you'll hear, S-T-R-E-A-M, and that introduces reading. And, and, and the reality of it is, and, and, and very similar to in early childhood, there's a, there's a lot of proven pedagogies that offer cross-curricular opportunities. And STEM is just that. Um, and Pitsco has been around for 50 years, and we like to say we were, uh, we were STEM before STEM was a thing. So I think in about 20 years ago was when that acronym kind of came about. And you hear it all the time now, but people make it what it is. I've heard um, people talk about streams, and I've heard someone that actually has an S on the end for social emotional. But in, in a nutshell, when you break it down, it's really the opportunity to deliver a variety of subject matters in a cross-curricular way. And the, way, the thing that we believe at Pitsco is that's how it is in the real world, right? It, it, in the real world, when we get into uh, engaged citizenship, it's not just one problem that's a one subject matter. They're all tightly integrated and woven together. And so STEM in general is science, technology, engineering, and math. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for explaining that, Jake. You did it very well. I actually teach a graduate level STEM course to early childhood educators. And many of them, you know, they're familiar with teaching math, they're familiar with teaching science, but the technology piece kind of scares some of them. Yeah. And so we actually were fortunate enough to hear about preschoolers, even coding. And um, many of the teachers in my class think there's no way I don't even know what coding means. 
So for those of us who maybe our parents or grandparents or just any of us who don't even understand what coding is, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And, and and similar to what you were talking about with early childhood educators and educators in general, right? Not necessarily being experts on coding and, and what, what we believe is that's okay because they're experts in what they need to be experts in. Grandparents are experts in being grandparents, parents and as parents and early childhood educators are experts in child development, right? And so um, it's pretty common, I would say, across the U.S. that we see that uh, as an education company working with educational institutions all over the U.S., that's not something to be ashamed of. There's a lot of educators who are not experts in STEM, and, and that's okay. And so if I'm trying to kind of explain like what that is, if, if we've never taken part in coding before, the easiest way to explain it is it's, it's a form of communication. So just like uh, you and I are having a conversation here, we're communicating back and forth. Um, you're asking me a question. I'm able to understand that and process a response and actually respond to you. Programming is a, a form of communication, um, and it's a way that humans can communicate with technology, such as computer processors, software applications, machines, and so on and so forth, so that, number one, they can understand it, and they can operate, behave, or react or interact with us in a manner that we want them to. So in computer science world, there's this, there's this phrase that computers only do what humans tell them to do. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now that go, okay, no, I work with computers and apps every day. I got a mobile phone. They don't do what I tell them to do, right? But one of the things is um, it's, it's from the programming side and the end user side. So the process of coding or programming is actually the process of writing a collection of instructions and commands in a specific language that those pieces of equipment can understand and process. Similar to how we have different languages as well, we've got the English language, we've got Spanish, we have French. Coding isn't one language. There's a variety of different languages out there um, that have, have been around for, for many years. Some are fairly new, and they all kind of vary in different uses and popularities. Um, but the easiest way to kind of comprehend what the process of coding is or what it looks like is if we take a, take a look at our everyday and we interact with all of the different pieces of technology around us, a computer, a smartphone, um, a smart device in our home even. There's a lot of thermostats and, and home security systems right now that, that um, are interactive. Um, when we're going to the grocery store and we're going through the self-checkout, there was actually an individual who wrote a set of instructions that got loaded onto that piece of equipment that allows it to be able to behave and respond to us and allows it to basically make our lives better um, and be able to interact with that piece of technology. So in a nutshell, coding and programming is a form of communication. Given the fact that you've mentioned a language in terms of maybe one we've not thought of before is language, we are very interested in developing the language in our case, the English language within the preschool population and children younger even. But there seems to be a growing interest in coding at the preschool level. And what does that look like if you were in a four-year-old classroom and teachers were trying to help children engage in writing a program or in, in coding? 
So I would say that it doesn't look all that different than what you're probably used to in an early childhood setting. There's a lot of exploration. There's a lot of hands-on. There's a lot of interacting. There's a lot of problem solving and those types of things. There's a lot of collaboration and communication like we talked about. They might be using some different words that maybe they don't get to use if they're studying some other subjects. But I would say that it looks very similar to what you're used to seeing in an early childhood classroom. When we try to focus on maybe why there's a growing interest in coding at the early ages. I would say that, that it's, it's kind of been a long time coming. Um, coding and computers and technology has been around for, for many, many years, and they continue to advance rapidly. And when it first started out in business and industry, it was only available there. And then they started introducing it at the university level to prepare you for industry. Okay, now we got to introduce it at the high school level to prepare you for college, so on and so forth. You're seeing this trend. And I would say that the last decade, there's been a really big emphasis and buzz surrounding the, uh, the earlier years from an elementary standpoint and preschool. And actually, recently, there's been um, a lot of, of emphasis on trying to get computer science as a required course in K-12 public districts as well. And so I would say the reasons for that, and we can touch on them if we have time to, there's kind of three main reasons from why should we do it and what does it look like? The first one would be career pathways and digital literacy. And I can talk a little bit about if you're turning your head and you're going, why do career pathways, why should we focus on those in, in preschool? Um, the second one is very relevant to early childhood and its skills development. And the third one that I would say is going to be engagement. So I can expand on those if we would like. Is that all right? That's fine. And particularly, as you mentioned, the first one there with the connection and workforce preparation. So yeah. I think that all three of those are certainly relevant. And so just go right ahead and give us a couple of sentences or a couple of minutes on each one. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'll start with kind of career pathways and digital literacy. You know, a lot of times some people might look at early childhood and if they hear career, they think, well, isn't that too early to start talking to a ch a, an individual about what they're going to do for the rest of their life? And th the reality is it's never too early to start. And it's not about keeping them in one career pathway. It's about developing an interest and building confidence. And so there's a few stats that I'd like to share that really paint a picture as to why this is relevant. Um, and as early childhood professionals, as grandparents, as parents, one of the things that that blue thread and that overarching goal that we're always focused on when it comes to our children is preparing them for the world so that they can stand on their own two feet, right? To provide them with the tools and the skills and the opportunities to have a place in the world when they get there. So when we think about career pathways, so a couple stats, for the past decade, STEM-related occupations on average have grown at double the rate of other jobs, and many of those being technology-related professions. Um, most of those are also higher-paying uh, salaries as opposed to their counterparts in other industries. Um, these next three stats are pretty staggering. So before the pandemic, it was estimated that there were 2.8 million unfilled STEM jobs in the U.S., many of those being technology-related. And more so, by 2030, which is a short eight years away, it's estimated that 38% of the jobs held by U.S. workers today will be automated and over 500 billion devices will be connected to the Internet. So when we think about that, there's a few different things here. Okay, let's toss careers out the window for a second and let's just focus on digital literacy. 500 billion devices being connected to the Internet is a sta staggering stat. 
So our children don't necessarily just have to be prepared for a career. They've got to be prepared to understand how to work with these devices in their daily lives. We see children now that are working with smart devices in their homes. We talked about the thermostats. Like there's refrigerators now that can order from the grocery store if we want it to. So when we boil it down to preparing them for the future, digital literacy is a big part of that, even if they're not going to go into a STEM career. It's, it's, it's basically preparing them to understand that this isn't science fiction. This is part of our everyday. When we talk about a career path, like I said a little bit ago, the overarching uh, reason that we want to focus on this is, is, is most early childhood professionals. We want to start early. We want to, we want to make it to where math and science and, and computer science and technology is not viewed as a challenging, challenging subject when they get up into upper elementary and middle school. When we're starting things in middle school right now, we've already experienced so much in the world that our, our minds start to shift in this box of what we can and can't do. And so we kind of, that wonder that we have from when we're early childhood children and when we're in that, those critical ages of development, we tend to lose those and it goes away and, and we tell ourselves, oh, well, I can't do that because I'm not smart enough. So part of it is building that confidence and that interest when we have that wonder that we, that we, that we lose as we grow into adulthood. So from a skills development, I think the thing to pay attention to with coding is in early childhood, it's not about learning a language, a coding language. It's more about developing skills and practicing some problem-solving things that allows the, the, the learners to develop a toolbox that can prepare them to enter school-age programs. Um, and, and, and one of the things we always talk about is coding is a natural way to develop 21st century skills. And so for those who are unfamiliar with what 21st century skills are, they're basically tools or skills that can be universally applied to enhance ways of thinking, learning, working, and living in the world. Um, most people in the education industry know these better as the four C's, and that's creativity, communication, critical thinking, and collaboration. And so when we break that down and we think about early childhood and we think about the skills that we're working to, to develop in young learners, um, there's a lot of, of, of synergies that say these are, these are vital skills that can provide a base tool set for them to be prepared to learn when they get to kindergarten or even the next grade level. So from collaboration, we're talking about sharing, we're talking about empathizing and caring, um, uh, critical thinking, asking why and recognizing that there's a lot of different ways to solve a problem. And then from communication. Doing early coding, they're going to practice some communication skills because one of the things we encourage is not a one-to-one. -one. We want them to work in groups. We want them to communicate to their partner what, what they should do, and then the partner gets to execute the, uh, the command, right? Um, and then vocabulary from a communication standpoint. They're going to be saying some pretty unique words that they would have never had the opportunity to say. And then the last part of why I think that it's growing in early childhood is engagement. In early childhood settings, we are dealing with a group of individuals that don't have very large attention spans, right? We have to cover a lot of material in a short amount of time with a lot of distractions. And I'll tell you what, one of the neatest things to see is the engagement level when you introduce something like a robot into a classroom. It, it, it really breaks down those barriers when we talk about equity. It's much different than, than working on a worksheet or something like that. It's hands-on, it's immersive, and we know how valuable that is to early learners. Thank you so much. I'm glad you brought up engagement and equity because there's something that just is close, near and dear to my heart, and that's gender and STEM. 
I'm very interested in exposing girls to STEM. We we know that there is an equity issue and many girls still get the message that they just aren't good at technology or science or math so or engineering. Yeah, so so to take that a little further, I think that's one of the reasons why we should start early, because like I said a little bit ago, we kind of have those biases as we grow into young, young adults and then into adults. The, the world is not as, as wondrous as it was when we were a little kid, and I think that if we can start early, we can break down those barriers of whatever. It doesn't matter even from a gender standpoint. It can be any type of socioeconomic background and providing that to children at at that young age, they can realize and recognize that they are capable of it. And I think the thing um, to pay attention to it there is um, a lot of the, the tools and resources out there don't necessarily have to be like in your instance, and you're talking about males and females, it doesn't have to be male dominant. Um, we, we have an early coding solution here that actually looks like a, a B, right? Uh, it's very non-threatening. And actually from a social emotional standpoint, we've had classes and teachers who actually introduce it as a class pet where they name it. So it's not scary. And, and I think that if we really want to um, support everyone with the opportunity to have these types of pathways and, and, and opportunities, it does start by introducing it th at those early age. So as you said, females, they, they don't get that idea that I can't be good at technology because the reality is anybody can. It's about opportunity. Well, if you were going to give us one or two more tips, because we don't want to hold you up too much longer because you've been so gracious to give us your time. No, you're fine. Oh, uh, if if you were going to advise parents on how to encourage children to learn thinking skills, not that you're talking about getting in front of a an iPhone or an iPad and playing games that are, you know, put the groceries in the cupboard or what have you, but that you're really talking about a more stimulating challenge. What would be two ideas that you could give parents or grandparents that would really start children as, as young as, as three or four into learning how to think? Well, I think the most important thing is, and I know as, as educators and even in early childhood professionals, we recognize the value of learner-directed approaches and open-endedness. And I think that one of the things, so my wife and I have been blessed. We have, we have four children, four amazing children. So we've gotten, needless to say, over the last 12 years of our life, we've gotten a lot of hands-on experience with that. And as, as parents, um, with our oldest daughter, we always wanted to hop in as new parents and we wanted to do it for them, right? We didn't want them to fail, right? We didn't want them, we wanted to kind of lead them along. And I think one of the things as grandparents, parents, educators is it's okay to put some parameters on there, but, but let them explore, let them figure it out, let them become immersed in their learning and direct their learning because we recognize that that's truly how learning happens and it's okay for them to fail. So I would say from a standpoint of how, how do we frame something and how do we support them? Number one, let them that it, know that it's okay to fail. There's a stigma in our society that uh, you don't want to be looked at as, as an uneducated or, 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 or stupid, so to speak. So sometimes we have a way of dumbing ourselves down. And I think that certainly at a young age, we need to learn that it's okay to fail. That's how we learn. So there's two things that I would say uh, that we can, you can um, provide some opportunities to do that. And then the last couple of things I would say is um, take an approach to 
kind of exercising some computational thinking and design thinking methods. And so that basically breaks down to, so computational thinking is taking a larger problem and breaking it down into smaller bite-sized chunks. So I, I want to use the example of the, the peanut butter and jelly activity, right? And I know that probably many of us across the U.S. have done this activity in elementary school where we have to, we have to write instructions for a partner to be able to build a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And what we find out quickly as our partner dives into those instructions is that we forgot to write the basic instructions of how to open the jar or to pick up the butter knife right? Or to turn the jar's lid counterclockwise versus clockwise. And so that's a way to kind of look at computational thinking. And then design thinking is, is an approach to solving problems that there's a lot of different methods out there. Pitsco education follows uh, NASA's best model, but it, it, it's a loop that allows the learner to kind of start with the asking a question. Then you're going to imagine the possibilities. You're going to come up with a plan. You're going to build it you're going to test it and you're going to improve it. And it's a continual loop. So I think those are two ways that we can really develop some unique skills and really provide children at any age an opportunity to come up with a, a systematic process of how to approach solving problems. Well, you have certainly given me a lot to think about. And uh, my grandchildren are 25 and 27. So I don't know if it's too late for me to start peanut butter and jelly or not. <laughs> uh, but I do appreciate your clearly defining for us some things that have been maybe mysteries for others and that you've given some real concrete ideas and and possibilities uh, for folks because you're right this is going to be uh, a whole new generation of people that will be in jobs that I've read haven't even been invented yet yeah and so we certainly want to put that out there for people to think about so Jake, again, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, for those of you who are listening, we look forward to having another podcast episode pretty soon. So, Jake, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.